the devotional and the Sunday school. Part of it, I think, is um, I find when you look into the Word a lot, you um, so many things start to make sense in different places of the Bible. Um, things that are said from places that you, things that are said maybe not even in relation seem to link together, and I think that's very powerful. Um, this morning, I am calling um, the message, Sanctifying God in Our Hearts. And um, part of it came from something I listened to, and also a uh, book I've been reading. And it may be a little bit of a different concept, um, but I would like um, for a chance to explain. So this idea of loving God, um, it's something that, it's at the very beginning of our faith. Um, it's the greatest commandment we have. And after that, to um, love our neighbor. It's a very essential part of our spiritual life. It's something that we continually hear about growing in. And um, in Mark 12, 30, I just want to read that commandment. And I'm going to be jumping around a fair amount this morning, um, so don't feel like you have to turn to every um, scripture. Uh, Mark 12, 30 says, and thou, shalt, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And also 31, and the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other greater, and there is none other commandment greater than these. And we know how to love so many things. Um, we love work. Um, we love our families. We love fun. We love food. We um, love beauty. Beauty. Um, we love hunting, ice fishing. There's lots of things we love. And I realize that love can be um, seen in different ways, or love is, um, we can, it's an action. Uh, we do love, um, and we learn to love. So why then do I struggle to love God sometimes? And I believe sometimes that our perception of God is out of line. Um, sometimes we uh, may have a perception of God that needs corrected. I'm not, and I'm not saying that this is the only reason that we don't love God. I believe there's many reasons um, that we struggle. Um, and it's sometimes, for me, it was a little bit hard to think of struggling to love God, and yet sometimes we see things in the world that um, seem to affect this to some extent. So the question, a question I have is, what is it in us or in God that we struggle to love? Is it something in God or is it something in us? And our perception of God um, 
affects our actions. It affects our speech, um, our responses. Whether this perception is wrong or right, there is going to be a reaction to some extent. Um, there is a, it plays out in our life. And what I'd like to say this morning is that maybe these responses are proof of our view or our perception of God. Is it possible that um, the discontentment that we struggle with in life, um, discouragement, um, anger towards ourselves at times, and maybe even towards others, um, fear, anxiety, is it possible that this is, or is this possibly caused by our perception of God. So how do we view God? Um, do we view God as vindictive, or is he merciful? Do we view God as a taskmaster or a father? Is he distant, or is he right with us? Is he austere, or is he gentle and kind? Is he a stingy God, or is he generous beyond belief? Is he danger, or is he dangerous, sorry, or is he safe? Is he an adversary or an ally? And so I'd, I'd like to maybe propose a solution to this. First um, Peter 3.15 um, we looked at it in our Sunday school lesson not too long ago. First Peter 3.15 says, well, Peter is encouraging um, the people to sanctify God in their hearts. First Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And to sanctify, um, I think of or sanctify being described as purifying, purifying God in our hearts. Um, also, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We don't make God holy. God is holy um, without our acknowledgement. God is... Um, God has a reputation or a, God is who he is without any effect from us. But Jesus is telling us, and Paul and Peter is encouraging that we ask for this reflection or this, this reputation of God to be in us. And on our own knowledge, we are unable to purify this reflection. Um, we are unable to purify um, God in us. And Isaac talked about this a little bit this morning, um, how we have to be attached to the vine. It's we are unable to... Um, drop off of the tree and become a branch of our own and remain strong. We lose 
we lose our power. Um, not only do we lose our power, but the devil uses that to come in and change our view of God. And Job was, Job was incredibly careful about this. Um, I want to read just a little bit in Job. The first chapter of Job, verses 4 and 5. Um, he's talking about his children. This is before anything, all these um, terrible things began to happen to Job. He's talking about his children. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Job was terribly concerned that his children did not um, become bitter towards God or... um, curse God in any way. And we continue to see after Job goes through so many hard things, um, he, in some ways, he saw it as wrong. Um, he, at one point, he said that it was God who had brought all these things on him. And we know that to not be right. But even if he, he in his mind, God was powerful enough that he approved his love to him. It was okay. God had the ability to do what he wanted to do, and Job was willing to accept that. So, I'd like to say that we need to sanctify and honor God in our lives, asking him to be set apart and purified in us. And we are unable to honor God if we have a sabotaged view of him. And like I said before, the devil attempts to use this, and I, I want to give some examples. The, te- the devil attempts to use um, our view of God to get us off track and to um, have us thinking um, unclearly or un- seeing God unclearly. The first example I want to look at is uh, Adam and Eve. In the very beginning, Genesis 3, 4, and 6. Um, they are they're in the garden, and they have perfect communion with God. God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And so far they have seen only good of God. God has given them a beautiful place to live. Um, he's put them in charge of the animals. Then the serpent comes, in verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The devil made God appear stingy. This God who had placed Adam and Eve in this beautiful place and given them everything was now keeping something from them. They were 
missing something. They were missing a chance to um, maybe find something new, something better. Eve made the choice to believe that God did not have their ultimate good in mind. He was keeping something from me. And we know that Eve's choice of doubting God led to the evil we have today. Um, and um, what we heard a, a little bit in our Sunday school um, about how this choice, this choice of um, doubting God was not, was not what God had given to Eve. God, God gave to them the choice to, to choose. And yet when they chose the wrong thing, they actually enslaved themselves. They turned from what was true freedom to what they perceived as freedom, which turned into slavery. The second example I want to use is the Israelites. And I've recently been reading the Israel, or Exodus and the story of the Israelites. And I'm not going to read a lot about them this morning, but I do want to talk just a little bit or give maybe some history on them. So we know the Israelites, they went into Egypt with Joseph and then with time, as Joseph dies, they become slaves. And they're slaves for generations. And then God comes along using Moses and Aaron, and he takes them out of slavery. And he demonstrates incredible power in freeing them. But not long after they leave, in fact, very, very shortly after they leave slavery, they start their complaining. They're backed up against the Red Sea, and they have nowhere to go. And right away, it's um, God has brought us out in this wilderness. They're mad at Moses, and they're mad at God. I'd like to read um, Exodus 14, 10 and 13, when the first complaining started. Exodus 10, or 14, 10 starts, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is it not, is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it, hath been, it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall, never, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Egyptians, or, sorry, the Israelites were struggling to see God as their deliverer. They had been slaves for so long that in their minds, they were under a new master. 
they would have preferred in their minds, why didn't you just leave us to die in Egypt? Why take us, why take us on this long journey where we're miserable, we're hot, um, we're running away, um, we complained about food, complained about um, too much of the same food. It, it just went on and on. Um, and God continues to do miracles for them. Um, he turns bitter water into sweet. Um, he gives them manna in perfect provision, not too much and not too little. Um, he gives them quail. He gives them water from a rock. He leads them with a cloud or a pillar of fire. And yet they still complain. Exodus 16 2 and 3 it says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They couldn't see a loving God that was providing for them, saving them, taking them out of slavery, just a new taskmaster forcing them on an uncomfortable journey. To them, God is distant, he's dangerous, and he's a master. They choose to see all the problems and interpret them as God's doing rather than the hope in the end goal and the providing father that's getting them there. And we know that they continue this. They continue this um, even after arriving in Canaan. They want a king and they go into captivity and they continue this on until they are rejecting the actual Christ because they need a sign. They're unable to see who God truly is. I'll look at another example in Luke 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. Start reading in verse 11 to 32. Luke 15. Verse 11, and he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided, it, divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a great famine, a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I am no more worthy to be called thy son. 
Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and with compassion ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and he came and drew nigh to the house, and heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants, and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make married with my friends. But as soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living, with harlots thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. And it was and it was meet that we should make that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. So I want to look at the younger son first, and then the, um, the elder. This younger son he goes, so he, he wastes so much of his father's. He takes his inheritance and wastes it. And when he has absolutely nothing left, he realizes that even his servants, that his dad's servants are way more privileged than he is or what he's gotten himself into. And I want to think about maybe a little bit how he perceived life before he left. Um... Before he left, in his mind, it's very possible the farm was a place of restriction. Um, it was a prison. He couldn't see the wholesome, um, sustaining life. It turned into a jail that kept him from experiencing anything good in his mind. And then he goes away and lives the way he wants to. And when he's sitting with the pigs and wishing he could eat what they are eating, he realizes how good that life was. And he returns expecting anger from his father. Um, he wants his... He puts it out that right away that he wants to be a servant. He, if he can just be a servant, he'd be happy. But rather he meets him with, he doesn't just meet him, he comes to meet him while he's still on the road and meets him with love and gives him a feast. And that, that life on the farm turns into freedom. It turns into um, freedom from being a slave to himself or a slave to his own choices sometimes. Choices that got him into so much, so much trouble. And then I want to look at the older son. 
I think this is maybe where we find ourselves. The older son stayed at home. But in some ways, he had the same view of the farm as the younger son did. He worked all the time. He did everything right. But when he comes to the house and he finds his father um, rejoicing and having a feast for this younger son that was gone and is back, he gets mad. Here I've been slaving away this whole time and I have never gotten anything for it. You've never given me a fatted calf to have fun with. perception of his father was not somebody that was loving, not necessarily protecting, but somebody that was just looking for performance out of him. All he wanted was for him to do the right thing all the time. He was doing everything right, but finding no joy in it. He was lacking the realization of the incredible blessings that he had in his life. A father that cared and a father that would give him something if he would only seek it and ask, and a place of true freedom where he could grow. I'd like to read um, Isaiah 55, and I'm going to read it in a little different version. Um, the Israelites are in captivity, and Isaiah is... Um, this is uh, Prophet Isaiah is writing this and um, inviting them to look at God's compassion. So Isaiah 55, verse 1, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here, that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David, behold, I made him a witness to the people, and a leader, and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall be called a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God. And of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my words that go be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace, and the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Isaiah is inviting 
um, the Israelites to look at God's compassion. Um, come and have freely truth that you um, continually seek but seem to find the wrong thing. Um, in verse... Uh, verse 2, why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? These people were seeking something that wasn't giving them what they, this fulfillment that they truly needed. Here they could obtain truth for no price. And why do you continue in this deceit? Open your eyes and see the truth about the Lord and listen that your soul may live. God is saying, see my love. Um, it is here if you seek it. Let the wicked forsake his ways and look at my ways. And the unrighteous man, turn your mind to me. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. These verses are thought about in maybe a little different context than what I want to use them this morning. And yet, in sort of the same way, um, I don't believe that these verses make God distant. Um, does not make him far from us. But rather, the ultimate joy that he has for us is above our comprehension. We must sanctify him in our hearts and change our ways to his ways and our thoughts to his thoughts. And if we do this, I think we'll go from focusing on our problems and shortcomings in ourselves, maybe others, to understanding that there is hope and we must move past these things to see the true glory that God has for us. And when I say moving past shortcomings, I'm not saying that we need to accept these shortcomings but once they are dealt with, let's put them in, a pa in the past. Let's learn to forgive. Let's learn to um, have the compassion and forgiveness that our Father has. I want to share a short analogy this morning. Um, I love analogies, and I came up with this one by myself. And I really like it. Now, like all analogies... Um, it falls short in quite a few ways. But I want you to take the good um, that can be found in it. And the analogy is this. Um, this father and his son are um, going fishing. And we're going to call the son Bobby, and the father is just going to stay dead. Um, and we are Bobby. And Dad is God. The lake, the boat, the fish um, is life and also uh, maybe the joy in life. Bobby and his dad are out in the lake fishing. They're in their boat. It's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. The lake is calm. Bobby loves fishing. 
But Bobby is eight years old, and he thinks he's ready to start casting on his own. And so he, he asks his dad, can I cast by myself now? And dad says, sure. Um, but can I, can I help you? Can I show you how to cast? Can, we, can I teach you how? Bobby says, no, I, he, I've seen you do it over and over and over. I can do this myself. So Bobby takes his fishing pole, the good old closed reel kind, and he rears back and casts as hard as he can because he's going to cast far, farther than what his dad did. And partway through his cast, he releases too quickly, and that line snaps or comes to a stop and comes shooting back at him. And it, the lure comes through his pole, gets tangled up in his line, and Bobby creates this huge mess of line. And Bobby, it's silent for a while. Bobby continues working with his line. And Dad looks over and he asks, Bobby, can I help you untangle that? And Bobby says, no, I got it. And Bobby keeps working on it. And all he does is it just gets worse and it gets worse and worse. And it goes a little bit longer and Dad asks again, can I please help you untangle that? And Bobby says, no, I got it. So Bobby continues a little while longer, and he eventually throws down the fishing pole. He says, I hate fishing. And Dad says, Bobby, can I help you with this fishing now? Can I help you with this fishing pole and this tangled line? Bobby finally agrees, okay, fine. Can you help me? Dad takes the fishing pole, and they find the end with the lure, and they cut the lure off. And then they cut the fishing line right where it comes out of the, of the reel. And they take that whole tangled mess, and they take that mess, and they throw it away. They re-thread the fishing pole, tie the lure back on, and Dad shows Bobby how to cast by himself. And within five minutes, Bobby is back to enjoying fishing just like he was before. Now, what I want to point out is a couple different things. Bobby was enjoying fishing up until the point where he took it into his own hands. As soon as he took it into his own hands, without knowing and asking or having Dad's instruction in doing what he was doing, things went south. He, couldn't, he was unable to do it on his own. Secondly, Dad was there the whole time, and yet Bobby wanted no part of his help in it. All Bobby would have had to do is turn around and say, Dad, hey, right off the start, all he would have had to do is just ask in that first little bit, and maybe they could have untangled the line without having to cut it apart. Um, but God does that for us. Sometimes we take it into our own hands um, and we want to cast on our own. and We create a mess. And God is always waiting there to help us out. 
And when he does help us, he does the same thing as what dad did. He cuts that whole tangled line out and he just throws it away and as us, we start over completely new. Yes, we learn from the tangled line, we learn from that mess. But after he's taught us his ways, he's taught us how to cast that line, we're able to do it on our own. Still with his instruction in our life, we have to have his instruction. If we lose sight of the hope, life begins to look sour. Life begins to look um, negative. But if we can learn to love a father that cares for us, a father that is near us, a father that gives us joy in living, he leads us in peace, nature will begin to sing again. The lake will have will be bright, the sun is shining, and there's fish to catch. So the encouragement I want to leave this morning is that Let's continue to sanctify God in our hearts and to learn to know him for who he truly is.